It is Tuesday on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for another day, time of year. Like I've said, where there is so much to talk about, a lot get left on the cutting room floor, as they say. I know there's unlimited, infinite space in the internet, more or less, on the podcast, but I try to respect your time to a certain degree, keep these to around 30 minutes, maybe a little bit more. Today I'm going to cheat on the upward side a little bit just because there's a lot to get to. So let's get right into it. Um, got some Vikings talk later on in the show. Andrew Kramer joins me for the weekly film review, taking a look at an interesting subject, the Vikings secondary playmaker, secondary receivers in particular. Justin Jefferson has been shut down more or less in the last two games. I believe he has 62 receiving yards on, I think, nine catches in those last two games against Philadelphia and Detroit, both those teams employing, you know, bigger physical corners that have been able to maybe, you know, slow him down a little bit at the line of scrimmage, throwing some double teams, some triple teams. It's not one thing, Andrew said, that's that's been able to uh, to shut Justin Jefferson down in these two games. But the Vikings need to find a way to adjust. They did it to a degree against Detroit and just in time, getting Two big plays from uh, third receiver K.J. Osborne on that final drive to beat Detroit 28-24. But I think teams are going to look at what has been done to the Vikings. They had set, what, 14, 14 points against uh, Detroit going into the you know, going into that last uh, that last quarter, they had seven against Philadelphia. They had 21 points in seven quarters before kind of rescuing that game Sunday. So I think teams are going to look at it and say, I think we'll take our chances with other players beating us, and how the Vikings adjust to that will be interesting, and Andrew and I will get into that. Also have some Vikings poetry, some vikus, as uh, someone suggested we call them. Just a, just a clever way of talking about um, Sunday's game with my good friend Keith Rashad. So we'll get into that in a little bit as well. And got some Twins news. The uh, the news off the field, much more interesting than the specific games. They start a three-game series against Chicago that we once thought would be pretty important. It is not anymore. But some interesting Twins news off the field. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, what did I miss? Let's start with NBA Media Day. It was Media Day for almost all the NBA teams, including the Timberwolves on Monday. And kind of a dueling storyline from the Wolves, you know, one of apology and one of, you know, intense optimism, I would say. Um, The first piece of that, of course, Anthony Edwards um, making his first, you know, public in-person remarks since it was revealed that he he made homophobic remarks. Um, Those were posted on social media, briefly taken down. He'd apologized for those on Twitter, but a lot of you know, a lot of work to be done yet on that. So this was his first chance to publicly comment on those remarks in a you know in a bigger setting, in a you know in person setting. So let let's roll let's let's just roll the clip that uh, that that I thought was the most interesting. Here here is Edwards getting asked about that whole situation. Man, I respect everybody. I'm uh I know what I posted was uh immature, um, and I'm sorry for that if I hurt anyone. And um. I'm working with the team, and uh, I'm sorry to all the Minnesota fans, and I'm working to be better. Do you recognize how what you said was hurtful or the impact that it had on on people who are gay, bi, or trans or lesbian? Yeah, for sure. Um, And like I said, I'm sorry uh, for what I said and my actions, and uh, I'm looking to uh, be better. 
Now, I'm glad to hear Edward say that he's going to keep working on this. You could hear the follow-up question in that clip coming from Chris Hines, Star Tribune writer who is gay and who you know has written about this subject a couple times already. I feel like Edwards is is on the right track here. I hope he is. Um, I thought his answers at Media Day were were good, encouraging in some aspects, but I think there is definitely some work for him to be done still in this space. So I, I don't want to just leave this story and say, okay, he addressed it. It's it's done. I would like to know specifically as the year goes on how this is still something that he's working on. In what way is he looking to change? And I hope that is evident as time goes on. You know, that was, like I said, the dueling narrative. The other narrative was more, you know, on the court and focused just on what the Wolves did this offseason to make themselves a lot better, I I would think. I mean, Rudy Gobert added to the organization as a, you know, a a seven foot one defensive stopper and one of the best defensive players in the NBA. They added Tim Connolly to the mix as their, you know, their chief personnel person, their their, overseer of basketball operations. You know, I think Jim Suhan hit the nail on the head with one thing that he, one thing in particular that he wrote in his column for today, in that a lot of times in organizations, when someone new comes in, especially in the Timberwolves organization, they are here to fix things. They're here to be like, well, this obviously wasn't working. Now we need to try something new. Tim Connolly comes into a unique situation where the Wolves won 46 games, made the playoffs. He and other new players here this year are looking to enhance, are looking to make something that was already starting to be pretty good even better. So that's a unique position in sports and particularly for the Timberwolves. So I'll be interested to see how much further they can take this. Will this really be the best era of Timberwolves basketball as it looks like it can be? Or you know, will things happen along the way to challenge that notion? That is, of course, why they play the games, but the Wolves start in a few weeks. Very anticipated season. I don't know how long it's been since there was one this anticipated. Maybe the first Jimmy Butler year was as anticipated. Maybe you just kind of forget how you felt about something. But it's been a while since you could imagine a team having a sustained level of success like this. And it, frankly, is pretty exciting and should make for a good fall and winter. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. It's time for another award-winning film review with Andrew Kramer, Star Tribune Vikings writer, and sometimes Andrew Great minds do think alike. Before we started talking, we were uh, both thinking the same thing for what we needed to talk about this week, which is some interesting developments in the Vikings passing game. You said Justin Jefferson, what, nine catches for 184 and two touchdowns, I think, in the opener against Green Bay and not a ton sense, in, including um, against uh, Detroit getting almost completely shut down. Um, I got a couple different directions I want to go on that, but but first off, uh, just want to hear from you, Andrew. What what stands out to you when you think about, particularly what Detroit did to try to slow him down, and and the Vikings in general on Sunday? Yeah, when I think of some of the quieter days that Justin Jefferson has had in his NFL career, and there there aren't too many of them, but they generally start with how it looked and how it has looked the past couple of games, which is with a, a talented, <clears throat> physically gifted. 
uh, corner who shadows him and can kind of bully him around a little bit and push him. And Jefferson's good against press coverage. Don't get me wrong, but there are times where you can slow him just enough and get a second guy over the top where the Vikings pass protection or the play design is not set up to wait that extra second for him to get open. And you don't have a quarterback in Kirk who's going to buy and improvise that kind of time. So things need to happen generally on schedule. And they weren't on, on Sunday, and they weren't the, the Monday before um, against the Eagles. And Jeff Okuda, the former top pick for the Lions, is their corner who they put on Jefferson. And, and Okuda is kind of finally um, developing a little bit, turning a corner, kind of living up to his, his draft status here in his third year. Um, and you could kind of see that coming out uh, against Jefferson. And it, it was a lot of things, though, too. It wasn't just that. When you go back and watch it, the first target to Jefferson, he was open. It was batted at the line of scrimmage. The second target, it was dropped. Um, there were times he was doubled, times he was tripled, all that kind of stuff. There were many things that went into it. Um, but in general, teams are going into this and saying, look, we'll single cover Adam Thielen. We'll single cover K.J. Osborne. Anybody else in your offense, we don't care we're going to kind of unabashedly double and triple team Jefferson and the Vikings finally in the second half and maybe a little bit in the second quarter started to take advantage of that attention on Jefferson. Um, but I'm sure they're thinking that they're going to want to get to that sooner uh, than, than wait as long as they did against Detroit. Well, and averages are just that because of, you know, they, they play out over the course of a full season. He still has, 246 receiving yards through three games. That's still a pace that would put him well over a thousand for the year. So much of that coming in that first game. But I imagine if the game, if two of these games were spread out a little bit more or came in the middle of the season, we might not pay quite as much attention to them. But, but when they happen back to back, when you got nine catches for 62 yards total in your last two games, the longest one being 11 yards that's just telling you that they're not able to get him open much in space at, at at all and so i guess my my first question is how is is it is two games concerning or is it just a combination of like you said that those those two teams they played have some pretty good personnel ways to match up with him and he'll be able to shake loose at another point or is this just going to kind of kind of be life for Justin Jefferson? He's going to have to figure out different ways to either get open or they're going to have to figure out different ways to scheme him open, like they've said, uh, in order to, uh, to not make these the, uh, the rule rather than the exception. Well, unfortunately for the Vikings, Marshawn Lattimore is up next. <laughs> the Saints corner is pretty good. I was just thinking about their schedule moving forward, and I thought, well, he's about the next best option for them in terms of a great – uh, skilled, physical, big corner who can match up with Jefferson. So it's it's not going to go away, the issue. They're going to have to figure out a way to get Jefferson open against New Orleans. Uh, if New Orleans has done anything well uh, so far this season, has been keeping the water level down, playing some good defense uh, while that offense tries to piece itself together. So I think it is concerning that when he, when any of the great receivers, right, get matched up against a great corner, you expect that battle to be good, but you expect it to be trading blows. You don't expect your great to get shut down by somebody else's great. And Jeff Okuda is not at that level yet, but the Lions had a good plan overall, and the Vikings missed and shot themselves in the foot in some instances too. I think some of this is Kevin O'Connell as a play caller, seemingly learning a little bit about 
how teams are going to play him about how he's going to be able to scheme Jefferson open. Cause they tried some things. They would send Jefferson in motion, leak him out into the flat, do play action, do some of the Rams stuff. Right. But the lions would just be there with a zone a drop linebacker, or they just covered it. They just played really well in certain moments that did not allow them to spring Jefferson loose. So I don't expect that to happen every time, but some of these issues against bigger corners um, you're going to need to either have Kirk trust Jefferson and be aggressive in ways that Kirk said after Monday night, we don't need to be so aggressive all the time. So that's always the line you tow with Kirk. Um, or you are going to need Kirk to say, you know what, Adam, you're going to have a hundred plus yards today because they're just going to do this to Jefferson. And he needs to start leaning into that quicker if that's the way he's going to go. Cause it took them until about that second quarter to start saying, all right, let's get Adam Thielen the ball. If they're just going to keep doing this. Well, and yeah, in the Eagles game, I mean, some of those interceptions, I mean, at least two of them were targets to Jefferson, maybe all three. I can't remember if, if all three were targets to Jefferson, but certainly the first one where he, he, you know, he goes into the end zone instead of flattening out. And then certainly the third one, which is the play in the end zone where, where Slay comes down with it. And it's just kind of an underthrow. Can't remember if the second one was, was his, his ball or not. No, it was Thielen because it was okay. Maddox. Avante Maddox kind of made a leaping grab up. And the, um, Kirk, after that game in, in Philadelphia, said that interception targeted to Thielen. He felt that was too aggressive as well in the moment. So it, that's just the line you walk with Kirk, right? Kirk wants everything to be clean and, and neat a lot of times and, and play efficient football. And sometimes you just got to make those contested grabs, right? And it didn't work out for them in Philly. And I guess the concern is, is that – you don't want him to be too conservative, you know, moving forward, certainly. Well, yeah, and that's another that brings me to another point. I mean, Cousins has been the kind of quarterback who's said a number of times over a number of years, he kind of goes where his reads take him, right? That's kind of his classic standard answer. Like, hey, do you do you look for this? Do you look for that? It's like, well, as I'm scanning the field, I'm just kind of going where my reads take me. I don't really favor one receiver over another necessarily, but Justin Jefferson is the kind of receiver, the caliber of receiver that isn't going to say you must throw me the ball, but just by, by accounting of his production is going to, you know, if someone's going to, if, if your reads are taking you one place and it's kind of a, Hey, should I throw it here? Throw it there. Justin, Def- Justin Jefferson should probably be the, uh, the tiebreaker in, in, in that scenario. So how does, how does that piece of it play out? As you think about cousins and his role in getting Jefferson, the ball in these situations or, or finding ways to get him the ball when it's, maybe not a hundred percent open, but it's open enough that the Justin Jefferson can go make a play. Yeah. And Kevin O'Connell's talked about coaching that they've talked about going through training camp and saying like, look, uh, they've had moments in camp where Kirk has gone on to his second and third reads and O'Connell saying, look, I know you thought that first wasn't open, but from where I'm standing right behind you, it was open. I want you to throw that. They've had that kind of learning process with each other through those kind of play designs and looks that Kirk's seen everything. He's, he's been in the NFL forever now. Um, and, and he feels comfortable in certain situations against certain looks. And I think there's that feeling out process of knowing this play design, trust me, you can put the ball over here and we're going to be okay. And, and I think that's going to be a process now that we're three games into it. And when it comes to Jefferson, I just, I think O'Connell needs to find out ways of, okay, how are defenses going to defend us when we're in this X, Y, or Z get greater sample sizes of that and then learn better ways to scheme him open because while they tried to, like I said, while they tried to scheme him open on Sunday against the Lions, Detroit just had answers for it. They it didn't work flat. Yeah, I mean, three catches for eighteen yards, and you know, this would be this. These are always bigger storylines after losses rather than wins, and so 
some of what happened at the end of that game obscure some of this and part of that for good reason, right? Because I think in tandem with this idea of Jefferson getting shut down a little bit was the idea of, well, where are the the other playmakers? Where, you know, Thielen had an okay day, especially early on. He started to get going in that second quarter in particular. But you had, you know, Irv Smith dropping another catchable ball, and he's supposed to be a big part of the offense. We've not really seen evidence of that yet. Um, Dalvin Cook um, has a big day running, but then he goes down with an injury. K.J. Osborne hadn't done much at all, and then that final drive, he, he shows that he's, you know, he can step up and make a couple of those plays that we've seen him make all along. So I, I guess the question then is like, how, where, where's your, where's your gauge on those kind of like below Jefferson, they, obviously they have other skill guys. They should benefit from all this other attention being paid to him. Are they doing enough to then use that? Cause I mean, until the fourth quarter yesterday, Andrew, until the fourth quarter Sunday, they had 21 points in their last seven quarters. Uh, that's, that's not good. And they had until they took the lead with 45 seconds left Sunday, they hadn't had a lead since Green Bay. Yeah, Thielen, I think Thielen is somebody that they have to get more involved. And we see it with K.J. Osborne, too. There was a third down there. Um, I think it was in the fourth quarter. It was the third and six. It was before that fourth down play that they converted where it was the one where K.J.'s diving for it. He's wide open, and Kirk lofts it up and just overthrows him a little bit. I mean, those are the kinds of examples of plays where you can scheme these guys open and and make it happen, and they just haven't connected and really done it. And I think both of those guys, Thielen and Osborne, are plenty talented enough, still have enough in the tank in Thielen's case, uh, even though he's in his 30s at this point. I think they need to get more out of those guys, and I think they know that. And, And Irv Smith has been a little bit of a disappointment at this point. What's interesting to me, and I think the quiet part of what the coaching staff's not really saying out loud, is that they're not viewing him as a run blocker all that much anymore. He hasn't started a single game on a first down. He's generally dominating on passing downs among that tight end group because that's what his strength is. But after that knee injury, he doesn't weigh as much. He talked about losing weight coming off that knee injury. He doesn't look like he's moving people as as well as he used to Uh, because he used to be like a fullback at Alabama. They used to move him around. He used to be a bigger guy that could actually be that move tight end. And now he's just been like more of a receiver who sometimes lines up inside, gets pushed back five yards when when, uh, Dalvin Cook runs for a touchdown. Um, I think those are the things that when you look at Irv, you, you need him to produce then as a wide receiver. You can't drop two of your, you know, 10 targets or whatever it's been this season. Um, it's been a really kind of a struggle for him coming back from, from those two injuries, the knee and the thumb. So I think they can get more out of Adam in Osborne. And I think Irv, they, it's, it's going to be a process with him, but clearly they want him to be a big piece of that passing game at least. So final thought for you, Andrew, if you're the Vikings, I mean, what, what do you want to see then when you go to London and then bring this, you know, bring this effort to the Saints who, like you say, have the kind of corner that can shut Jefferson down. You don't want to, you know, you're still going to throw to Jefferson because he's your best playmaker by far, but also like, it feels like it's a little bit of a balance because week one was so much Jefferson because he was open so much and because they were connecting and it's just the way that Green Bay was playing and was able to play in that game. And then since then, it's been kind of finding, trying to find out who else is going to make plays or if Jefferson can make plays. And they got away with it, I think, uh, Sunday just enough. But I don't think that's going to be enough going forward. Yeah, the good thing about Sunday was they got their run game going. Dalvin Cook looked really good. I thought Alexander Madison looked really good once he stepped in there as well. So carry that forward. Even if Dalvin Cook can't play, if they decide to hold him out so that shoulder gets better, um, run the ball against New Orleans. Take the pressure off Kirk Cousins. Know that 
Jameis Winston, who's injured himself and now has a trio of wide receivers who are apparently injured in New Orleans, they're not going to score a bunch of points uh, against the Vikings. So go out there and try to control the clock, play, play some old school Mike Zimmer style football. I really think that's going to be their easiest way to win, because if you try to do this thing where you're forcing it to Jefferson against Marshawn Lattimore, you're dropping back against Cam Jordan and, and Marcus Davenport. They got some good pass rushers over there. I think you would be good to try to continue to lean into that ground game, regardless of who your running back is. And to establish that, it's going to be good for your offensive line. It's going to be good for Kirk to just kind of calm him down and get him into a rhythm. Um, and I think if they play mistake-free, they're going to they're going to win pretty easily against New Orleans. Yeah, I would think so too. I just think going forward, big picture, it's you know, you got this, then the Bears game. I mean, they they could get to four and one without playing anything close to their best football or reaching their ultimate offensive potential. But at some point this year, and maybe it just takes a little time. This is a new scheme, new system. Everybody's learning something new. There's going to have to be a different gear that I don't think we've seen consistently yet. Yeah. And I think it's going to have to hit too with, with this coaching staff, we've seen them kind of whiff and and hit or miss on some of their adjustments and things they've tried to do against some opponents. Um, And I think, yes, it's a process of finding it out. And, And I overheard Eric Kendricks talking after the game about how, um, you know, we're still learning to play with each other. Cause he was asked about like, why is this defense so hit or miss in the passing game? It seems like first half you're letting Jared Goff throw all over you. Second half, all of a sudden the coverage is tighter and it's tougher for Detroit. And Kendricks had a point of saying, when you're in zone, a lot of it's relation to understanding. I trust and know where my teammates going to be. And that comes with playing with each other and, and that kind of inherent innate ability to do that. And they, he admittedly said, we don't have that yet. And, and we need to find a way to kind of get that going in games sooner than we have. And so I think they think the coverage is going to improve over time, which will be helpful for them. And hopefully that offense kind of gets the same cohesion when it comes to these game plans. Indeed. Well, we'll find out in London, Andrew, good stuff as always look for his film review Tuesday on startribune.com. And Andrew, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. I've spent the better part of, you know, 15 or 20 minutes Monday and already another 15 or so minutes today talking about the Vikings game. Um, In that process, I have not come close to exactly explaining how in the hell they won that game. Um, But I'm hoping that we can get to the bottom of that with the help of some poetry. So I like to bring back Keith Rashad for some Vikus. Haikus of Vikings descent. Um, we can still call this segment my least favorite team is my favorite team because that certainly applies. Although when they're two and one, uh, they do lean more towards the latter than the former. Sir, how are you doing? And did you enjoy at least portions of that 28 to 24 victory on Sunday? Oh, I have poetry that explains my feelings on that game. Okay. Well, should we just start? Let's start with number one. Yes. Okay. That's all. That's how it was going chronological order. Okay. Four different quarters, two each for both of the teams. That game was silly. It was kind of silly, wasn't it? It was, they, they did kind of just take turns um, being the better team. Right? I didn't look at the line score exactly, but I guess it was probably like Lions scored the first 14, Vikings the next 14, Lions the next 10, Vikings the next 14. So it was not a back and forth, not in, not in the context of, you it was know, definitely back and forth. It was, it back was and absolutely forth. back and forth. But it was, it was not back and forth but. in this. It was not back and forth in the sense of like 
trading immediate blows. It was like one team is going to be really good for a while. Then the other team's going to be really good for a while. And then it just, the Vikings just happened to be the team that was better at the end. It was silly. It It was was silly. It was a silly, strange, goofy game that was hard to enjoy. Well, I don't know. I was, you know, I find myself in the midst of, I think my football viewing has changed over the years. I think sports just kind of take on a different, occupy a different space in your life, even though that is my, you know, what I write about, what I talk about. Um, it just in terms of watching a game, I think I watch games differently now than I, I used to And sports aren't maybe not these, they're not these life and death moments that maybe they used to be. Um, I don't watch in quite that way uh, anymore. Life gets bigger. You've got more things going on, but I did. I was watching that game more from the the standpoint sometimes of the narrative, and it sure seemed for most of that game that the narrative was going to be this is a one and two team that just lost to the Lions and doesn't really have a clear direction right now. So I, I think at the very least, um, from a silliness standpoint or an enjoyability standpoint, you you at least had the uh, the fact that they won um, and kind of saved themselves from that fire. Well, two things. One is you and I are both in our mid forties now. Yes. We're of that age. And, and sometimes I think back to the person I was when I was say 25. Yes. And I think about just how disgusted that human being would be with me today. Right. Okay. In terms of, of priorities and what happened. Sure. Right. You, you just went on a, I think 15 minute diatribe about how football doesn't mean anything to you anymore. The 25 year old version of yourself would have punched you. Right. Uh, in a soft part of your body. Yes. Of which there are more now. And so there's, there's that. But then uh, point two gets to the second haiku to sort of explain oh, well, how I we felt about this. Didn't even plan this. So please. Yes. Number two. Life is only pain. No joy in beating that team. Bothersome lions. Well, and that that kind of goes into how I looked at this game from the beginning, and that that there was there was a lot more for the Vikings to lose in this game than there was to win. Right there, there was there was much more to be lost than gained. You you beat the Lions at home, you're supposed to do that, right? Um, and I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how it happened. It, it maybe it kind of does now because it feels like more of a there's a greater sense of relief because it certainly could have been a loss, just like last year's game where Kirk Cousins nearly knocked Mike Zimmer over and they almost came to blows after they salvaged that game late at um, at U.S. Bank Stadium and he shouted. Which would have been like so that. much more interesting than the game itself. It was. That was that was the only like. In, I mean, the fact that they almost collapsed and saved themselves with the field goal and then the two like had a weird that, that could most politely and only be described as at least awkward and probably um, angry a celebration on the sidelines last year. And again, this year it was like, that's hard to even call it a celebration. Yeah. It was was an engagement between two gentlemen who did not like each other. Yeah. It was like two, like it was like a watching a wildlife video. Accepting accepting a common goal between them. Right. Two (laughs) gentlemen who did not like each other, accepting a common goal between them. I think is yeah. the only way to really describe it. Yes. But let me ask you another question along these okay. same lines, right? Okay. Which is, is that I was thinking about this after watching the game and I was having a hard time remembering the last time I 
felt happy after the Vikings beat the Lions. Right? Yeah. And, and for so many years now, there've only been two outcomes when it comes to the games with the Lions. There's either relief that they just got it done and did what they needed to do, or there was significant disappointment because they lost to what felt like a, a truly inferior team. Yes. And, and I honestly think the last time that I felt good or happy or joyful about a victory over the Lions is when Barry Sanders was playing. Maybe, yeah. It's like, wow, they managed to not lose to Barry Sanders, who was amazing. Oh, of course, yeah. And, it, and they've had some okay teams since then. They've made the playoffs sometimes. But yeah, they, they, it never has felt like the Lions were a threat on the level of certainly of Green Bay or or Chicago in some of these seasons where it was like, and they've never been that kind of rival anyway. Like they're, they're part of this division, but they've always, like I think Patrick Royce rattled off a stat on today's show. Like Bud, he's like, Bud Grant wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for the Lions. Like Denny routinely kicked their butts. Like I think Tice and Childress were like 16 and one against the Lions. Like they just feasted on these, you know, these teams that they get to play twice a year. It's a significant part of a 16 game schedule that they have routinely gone two and zero against to the point that if it's merely one and one in a year, it sets them back. Like it's hard for them to make the playoffs if they don't beat the lions twice in a year. Right. That's, it's just, it's not necessarily fun watching these particular games, which is a very weird thing to say about a division rival, quote unquote rival. And I think these lines are a little bit better. They seem to be on a, Somewhat better path than they've been on, but the but yes, it still does feel that way. Okay, haiku three, please. Okay. Vintage Kirk Cousins. Clutch when it's not essential. A meaningless win. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't meaningless is you know is subjective. And I think it, I think this game has we might look back at the end of the year and decide this was pretty important that it was the difference between the playoffs or not the playoffs. I think we would also you look keep at trying to talk yourself into that one. Well, we would, I don't know. We don't know how the season's going to play out. We would, we would certainly look at this team right now and say at two and one, even at two and one, there are some obvious deficiencies on this team. The defense does not seem to be very good or ready to play the scheme. They are being told to play. I think there's some definite questions about what? playmakers beyond Just Justin what Jefferson. Scheme are they being told to play? No, I don't know. They would like to play these uh, this three four zone uh, shell, and uh, it does not necessarily seem to suit their personnel. And I worry about it even more um, if and when the inevitable two three four injuries uh, happen. That uh, that that mean there's even less talented players trying to execute these questionable schemes. But well, that's a question for another day. We don't know how the season's going to play out. We might decide at the end of the year that this was an important win. Certainly puts them in a better position now, but you're right. It's like outside of obviously Kirk cousins directing some pretty impressive drives, including an overtime touchdown drive against new Orleans. You you can't point to a whole lot of times where Kirk cousins has been clutch in those absolutely clutch. Got to have it moments and clutch is subjective, whatever, but I think you're right. I think you're onto something with, with that sentiment. Or we're just think, I'm thinking about the basis of comparison as, as last week, right? right? Last week we had the the narrative, the Monday night against a very good team, and uh, the Vikings didn't look so great. Not so great. In the one half that I watched before I went to bed. Right. 
And it almost felt inevitable that we would have that game-winning drive at the end of this game because it keeps us in that perpetual uh, balance of Kirk Cousins that you like to note and that he's forever around 500. Forever. And so after a disappointing loss like last week to come back and, and see what we saw this week, just sort of felt exactly like what was going to happen in a much lower pressure situation, which is why it felt less and less essential, less meaningful than a victory at uh, Philadelphia would have, or, or even the first week against Green Bay, which I still believe is has much more to do with Aaron Rodgers deciding not to throw the wide receivers than it does with anything else that the Vikings did. Well, and Green Bay missing their two starting tackles and starting wide receiver in that game. They're 2-0 and since those guys have come back, although the offense for Green Bay still a uh, question mark, 14-12 to over Tampa on Sunday. Okay, what is your last haiku before I get to mine? Okay. Your vaiku. How many kneecaps were bitten during that game? Man Campbell fights on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I would, I'm sure there's a stat somewhere on how hard knocks teams finish during the year, and they seem like a perfect candidate for it this year. But he's that kneecap stuff is going to follow him forever, and he does, doesn't seem like. Uh, it seems like he's he makes some intelligent data driven decisions that field goal uh decision notwithstanding i don't think that was necessarily the right call in in that moment but they they play relatively aggressively i don't i don't know how many kneecaps were bit maybe he bit kneecaps um in the locker room post game cuz he probably would have been pretty angry did you see by the way did you see the reaction of the bills offensive coordinator when they ran out of time in that game against Miami and they showed him up in the booth, just like slamming his headset down and throwing papers all over the place. That's what I imagine Dan Campbell would do, but maybe he doesn't do that. You know, the thing about Dan Campbell is he is certainly portrayed and, and gives the indication of, of, that he's a caricature, right? That he's right. the, the yes. football coach caricature. Uh, and I, I have to admit, I am a little bit afraid of, the level of competency that he seems to be displaying yes that the lions seem to like to play for him like not necessarily with every coach they've ever had and um that he that there's enough there that he is not the buffoon that we all need him to be in these trying times yes. to help soothe our souls yes. in, in, this, in this difficult period that we're all going through. Yes. Right. We need him to be dumber and funnier and, and more about the biting of the kneecaps than putting a competent football team on the field. And so he marches forward in a way that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. And we needed him to we needed him to double down on his decision to kick the field goal instead of saying, "Actually, I don't think that was a good move at all. I regret it." That's that that shows a level of self humidity, humi- humidity, self humility, and he's he's very it's he's really very dry, dry right now. Very yeah. it's not, it shows a level of humility that uh, that, that I wasn't uh, that I wasn't ready for. A little self introspection right after the game. Well, let me let me share with you. It's all on the same kind of contextual wave here, but here's my one Vaiku for the day. Vikings are Vikings. Only one thing is more true 
Lions are lions. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Which, which gets to a, a, another question that I want to ask you. And I, I think that fits right into the Vaiku, exactly what you say. Do you see any difference whatsoever between this year's team and last year's team? I mean, so far, not really. I mean, honestly, they, they've been up and down. They've, I, I guess the, the only difference that I can see right now is that in the one really close game that could have gone either way so far, they won and didn't lose. And that's subject to change. That's subject to kind of the whims of the NFL, but they are playing a lot of the same kinds of games. I don't feel like the offense is much different than what we've seen before. I feel like they're doing a lot of the same things, even if the scheme is a little different. Um, Short answer is no, I I don't. I think I'm sure there's like internal intangible differences, but this team is, it's largely the same players. So they're going to play the same way. You can't untrain or unlearn everything that's been happening for all these guys' lives in a matter of, you know, months. It's, it's, it's the same guys. They have their tendencies. This is kind of who they are. So are we ever going to get to the point where the people who are high enough up, up in the organization recognize that it's just going to be nothing more than the same if they keep doing these same things to the point where attrition is going to wear them away and they'll find themselves in a five and what would it be 12 year? Right. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take like something worse than eight and nine, I think, to convince them of that. Right. I mean, maybe they would make more moves around the edges if they miss the playoffs this year for the third year in a row, but it's going to take that kind of that really bad year, kind of the opposite year of 2017, the year everything went right and they won 13 games and they became convinced that the model was, was correct. It's going to take the opposite of that year to actually blow all of this up. So Sunday would have gone a long way to hastening that, but uh, in the meantime, they're two and one and, Dare say you look at their schedule, there's an opportunity to go three and one and then maybe four and one against the Saints and Bears. And then there for the path from there to get to the playoffs isn't that hard. So I don't know if it's happening this year. Well, I, I guess my only hope is that, that the poetry can reach into Ziggy and Mark Will's soul and, and speak to them. The way it has for me. I'm kind of torn on the Vikings right now because I think they will naturally get better as the year goes on, that they can't help but it in, in some ways, just as they learn new systems, learn how to play with each other on the field. But I'm also still just not 100% sold on this roster or this process. So how this all plays out um, is going to be fascinating. It's just kind of fun, too, to see a different way of doing things. You got so used to the Mike Zimmer, Rick Spielman era that it felt like things were playing out over and over again. It was hard to get excited for the storylines excited to see okay how does this all look so just the the seeing new teams seeing new new ways of doing things gives you a fresh lens with which to critique to appreciate so I'm, I'm more invested in this season i find so far than i was in past years just from that standpoint and i hope that that continues let's finish with the cooler um, speaking of invested in a season and going from hot to cold, cold to hot, um, I think we all dropped the Twins pretty quickly here in the last few weeks. They were tied with Cleveland for the AL Central lead like three weeks ago, and now it's just com- completely descended into what it is right now. But I found something interesting, even though they've got kind of a nothing series against the White Sox here to finish their home schedule before hitting the road for the last week of the year. 
They're getting new uniforms and new scoreboards next new scoreboards next season. That's interesting to me. That the I'll be interested to see the reaction to the new uniforms because anytime new jerseys come out, new uniforms come out, there is a you know a, a lot of hot takes out there. I love them, I hate them, things like that. So there will be strong opinions about these when they do come out, and I'm sure we'll be ready to talk about that. And new scoreboards, interesting too. You figure. Wow, this is you know this stadium opened in in 2010. Do they really need that? But you know Dave St. Peter made a good point. That's this is the 14th year of Target Field coming up next season, and he said video boards usually only last about 10 years, so they'll get a refresh on that front as well. So let's look for that. There's going to be some uh, some interesting um, interesting things to watch for the Twins, even if the on-field product has not been great this year. And uh, I'll be watching for those new uniforms when they come out at the end of the season. That'll do it for me here today. Lots of go for football talk on Wednesday's show. Expecting to have Randy Johnson, beat writer, on the show, as well as Gophers receiver Mike Brown-Stevens. So look for that on Wednesday. Be back at it then.